Welcome to Church in the North, a podcast by ministry leaders and for ministry leaders. I'm your host, Rob Chartrand, Program Coordinator for Christian Ministry at Briarcrest College. And I'm joined by my co-host, Jeff Dresser, Assistant Professor of Worship Arts. Say hello, Jeff. Hey, Rob. And not Dan Goddard, Lead Pastor of Victory Church in Moose Jaw. He is away for the next two episodes. Instead, we have joining us this week as a guest host, Jeremy Cook, who is the Assistant District Superintendent for the Alliance Canada Midwest District. <gasps> Welcome to the show, Jeremy. Yes, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Jeremy, uh, we're, we're so glad you're here with us uh, for this week. And um, just a real quick question, is that Assistant District Superintendent or is that Assistant to the District Superintendent? Yeah, whatever the one Dwight Schrute was, that's the one that I am. Also, I feel a little bit like the backup quarterback after Aaron Rodgers goes in for four plays and Dan's here for like whatever, you do four episodes and then he has a traumatic uh, injury and now I'm out and I'm here. And so uh, happy to be uh, Dan's backup yeah, today. Well, hey, we're great. glad you're here. Um, listen, just a real quick question. I mean, that's a really lengthy title, but what mm. is it that you do exactly? Sure. So... Uh, a lot of the pieces in working with boards and working with uh, kind of our uh, licensed workers, uh, the portfolio that I hold specifically, though, has to do with kind of two main pieces, which is new ventures, basically everything to do with uh, new expressions of the gospel. So traditional church planting, but also, um, you know, unique and creative ways as we kind of figure out what this looks like in, in the new landscape. So all of that sort of stuff that happens more here at home. Uh, and then the other side is uh, I'm called a missions mobilizer, and that's helping Ooh. engage with our churches. Let's get uh, yeah, that's right. And our workers that are at home. Uh, and then working kind of with all of, we have about 200 international workers that the denomination supports from here in Canada uh, internationally. And so lots of work then to help the churches connect to that and also with the workers themselves. So okay. like last night I was doing an interview for a, a brand new worker that uh, was seeking approval to head out uh, into Asia. And so you, you do all those kinds of pieces. So, okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, thanks for making the drive from Regina to here in Cairnport. It's a uh, kind of a cloudy morning. It's starting to rain out a little mm. bit. So thanks for bringing the rain. Um, hey, I got a quick question for you guys just off the uh, top. Um, do you guys got any Thanksgiving plans this weekend? What about you, Jeff? Uh, heading back to Winnipeg. Going to be with the family. And uh, so, yeah, looking forward to that. Okay, so Dan Goddard's away from the church. You're away from the church. Who's in charge around there? You know, there's people that show up every week. They'll figure something out. Okay. You know. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Jeremy? The first Thanksgiving in Saskatchewan. Well, you grew up here, but you're, you've moved here from Edmonton, and now you're back here. Uh, what are you guys doing? We don't really know. I actually have not thought about that at all until you said this. We have lots of time. I, yeah. Don't worry. So we moved here over the summer, and now, like, I currently have no kitchen. Like, we're in the middle of renovations oh, okay. and everything. Yeah. So, so, like, literally, I have no countertops. No, there's there, the power's off. The you things could are deep gone, fry so. turkey if you get it now, but you got to make sure you thought before you put it in the deep fryer. Apparently, they... They explode. Yeah, <laughs> so I saw those videos. I have no idea what we're doing, but I'm thankful. Okay, okay I'm yeah. thankful. Well, uh, speaking of being thankful, um, a number of families, ours included, do that kind of going around the circle. I'm mm -hmm. thankful for, you know, just before the meal or after the meal and, you know, before dessert. So I thought we'd play a game this morning to start off, um, a game of thankfulness. So I am thankful for, but I want to give you some specific questions of mm. thankfulness. So let's start with this one. This one's easy. What species of dog are you thankful for? Jeremy, go. Uh, I don't know the species of dogs. 
uh, I'm thankful for dogs with jobs. That's what I'm just saying. Dogs with jobs is the way to go. So like any anything where the dogs are working with us and helping our life, I like those dogs. Okay. Yeah, okay. that's my pick. Great. Jeff? Yeah, I'm also not a dog person. So mm. I am thankful for miniature breeds that can't hurt me. <laughs> okay. Like, that's first, a traumatic. First dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First there, dog. Was a, there, was, there was a story <laughs> not, behind not that. Not that I would ever want one, but yeah. just... I don't have to. And my wife is also uh, does not like dogs. So yeah. small dogs yeah. are okay. But if we're out for a walk and someone has a large dog, then it's incumbent upon me to place myself between the dog and my wife and so that I would be the one who would yeah. be attacked yeah. by yeah. the dog. Well, I'm allergic to most dogs. Um, uh, I can't say I don't like dogs. It's more dog owners. And I don't like the idea of owning a dog because it's just so much work. Mm. My wife and I actually have a running list. We we're up to like 200 and some reasons why we don't ever want to own a dog again. We did when we were first married. Um, but the dog I would like uh, is the Golden Retriever because it's not yappy. It's friendly. It's kind. You know, it's good. It's always going to love me, you know. Um, and it's also not going to be super violent, right? So it's kind of like in between. It's the good, good kind of dog. However... I would be sneezing like crazy, so I can never own a golden retriever. All right, next question. Uh, what hairdo from the 80s or 90s are you thankful for? Go, Jeremy. I li- I'm a big fan of the old bowl cut, okay, <laughs> because that was just the economical solution. Every Everyone in every family could put the bowl on the head and cut the hair that sticks out. So I'm thankful for the bowl cut. Okay. Also for the hilarious uh, memes that exist with the bowl cut, Uh playing a prevalent role in it. Well, I'll, I'll go and I'll let you go, Jeff. Uh, the Caesar cut. I love mm. the Caesar cut. I had a Caesar cut for a while. We all had the, the Caesar 90s, cut. Yeah, yeah. But my head is so huge, it just did not work. It just looked like <laughs> a big marble. Um, but uh, I think Jim Carrey and Dumb and Dumber had a Caesar cut. So anyway, how about you, Jeff? Uh, I'm a fan of the puffed out, blow-dried hairband um, look from okay. the 80s. That's yeah, what, like uh, Gowan... Yeah, yeah, that, Duran, like, Duran. Like all of those, yeah. uh, all of those metal hair bands okay. with the you know spandex, a mesh tank top, <laughs> and the poofed out, blow dried. So the question and is, did, did you eyeliner? have that, Eric? Did you have uh, that? No, no, I I aspired to that uh, type of look, but alas, my hair was too thin and would not, uh, uh, or too fine and would not uh, poof out. Like for, that. for the I listeners at the home. He was just describing his current outfit as we're recording. <laughs> <laughs> this is why this is audio only, right? It's, it's good for everyone. That's right. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Jeff, uh, what church song are you thankful that we no longer sing? Uh, man, there's so many that get uh, that get so tired. But I am very glad that Days of Elijah has had its good run <laughs> and that, that we are we are done with that. Yeah. Does anyone know what the days of Elijah would really be like? Like, I don't think that that would be. A... I don't think they'd have that beat. It wouldn't. No. <laughs> right. It wouldn't be a good is time. The, is the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, It'd be context. Context. Yeah. Yeah. How are you, Jeremy? So I have a, a terrible thing. I worked in church, uh, grew up in church, pastor's kid. Um, both my grandfather's pastors. I don't know the names of songs, even in the church. So like I would be sitting in a, uh, you know, like a, a, <laughs> in our worship arts meeting kind of going like, you know, the song. And then I'd kind of have to like hum it or something because I didn't know the name of any of them. So I don't really know the name of, of any of them. But to what we were just saying, I don't like the songs or the lyrics and like the beat and the melody of the song just doesn't match up. And so it sounds like you're, you're you know, you're saying joyful words, 
but it just sounds like a depressing song. I didn't like that. I found that so confusing. Uh, <laughs> so you know, do you have a specific example? No, I don't know the names of any songs, but those types Fair of enough. songs. Fair enough. Uh, the song that um, that really I can't sing anymore is I Could Sing of His Love Forever. You know? oh, okay. Because that's a song it just keeps repeating. Like, <laughs> you it, cannot it, like, sing of his love I, forever. I, I could sing of his love forever. And, and you know what? I will. Let's just keep going. <laughs> I, I would I drop that song because uh, it had in the bridge it says, uh, yo, I feel like dancing. And I'll be dancing like we're dancing now. And like my, but my entire church was standing there like statues. And like, okay, if we're not going to dance, we cannot sing this song. That's anymore. what I mean. You have the words that don't match, you know, and people are half asleep and yeah it, so it was the bridge for that song that actually killed it for me because um i hear the bridge and i all i can hear is kermit the frog um when he sings like the song the rainbow connection someday you'll <laughs> find it the rainbow connection right like that's kermit the frog but then i now i hear him singing like uh oh i feel like dancing his foolishness Stop i know it. So, so, and then when i tell people to that it totally ruins the song for them because all they hear is you've taken so many people out of worship now who will ever hear that song again thank kermit you the frog. That. yeah, yeah. Um, hey, Dan Goddard is away. Uh, where is he? He's like, uh, do you know? Do you, where's your boss? Like, is he gone away? Yeah, he's uh, he's on a road trip with his daughter. Oh, yes, that's right. Um, before she like heads to Africa or something. Yeah, like that. yeah, She's yeah, doing, yeah. Like, yeah. A missions thing. So, mm. so he drove there. Yep. Yeah. Or okay. no, he flew there. Okay. But flew. then they're gonna drive her. She's got a car. Okay. There, so he's you flying. Know. You're flying uh, away this weekend. No, not this weekend, but uh, in, a, in a few weeks. Okay. Yep. Okay. So I have a I have a flying question. Um, let's talk about airplanes. Uh, pastors on airplanes. Mm. Um, you know, we've heard all the stories from the pulpit of the pastor evangelist who's like just so good at like sits down and shares the gospel with somebody and leads them to faith uh there on the airplane but i mean not all of us do that um what's your go-to when you're on an airplane uh, what do you do like are you like the middle seat guy sharing witness uh movie sleep uh anonymous obnoxious guests uh what's your go-to plan when you're flying on an airplane jeremy go Okay, so I've flown a lot in the in the work that I do, and particularly on long flights. My strategy is just never to be in the middle seat or be, or be by anyone in general. So uh, that's kind of the first the the first tactic is how can I secure this entire row uh, of, of space? Uh, you know, very selfishly, that's the initial approach. Uh, and then on the really long flights, it's like. I'd love to tell you I'm this great witness. I'm mostly just trying not to lose my mind when I'm on a 16-hour, you know, flight and uh, try to just stay with it. But um, in general, you know, kind of sitting in a seat and and pretty quickly you can tell whether the person near you uh, wants to engage with you or not. And and uh, so I have fun, lots of fun stories of meeting people on planes and, and hearing their stories and um, being able to talk about faith to some degree or another with with many of them. But other people that just don't want to engage, I'm happy to let them just get their little snacks and, and yeah. live their life. Yeah. Do, do you find the... Um the question what so what do you do for a living uh can be like a real showstopper in some conversations mm. yeah i actually use that to my advantage if i don't want to talk then i say <laughs> i'm an evangelical pastor <laughs> and then that, that'll usually uh, then you get your own seat uh, yeah, yeah they yeah, move yeah, away from true. you i need to try that more yeah. often yeah your cool factor just kind of drops to the floor mm. in the moment they discover what you do for a living uh yeah. jeff what do you what do you what's your go-to well similar to what jeremy said i find just the whole flying thing is so dehumanizing and degrading 
that by the time I get my seat on the plane, I'm probably not going to be a good ambassador for Christ at, at that point. So maybe I, so the best thing I can do is keep my mouth shut. And uh, so usually it's noise canceling headphones, a book, and uh, all the closed off, don't bug me body language that I can that I can muster. Sadly, that's 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 just the way it is, man. I'm yeah. being real. Yeah, no, it's good. Appreciate it. Yeah, I kind of back and forth. Like sometimes if I feel up, like energetic, uh, then I'll, I might engage in a little bit. Mm of conversation but then um yeah for the most part i like to kind of keep to myself put the music on um read i don't like to watch movies though unless i have to because i can watch movies anytime and so to sit and stream and and i, I kind of would get bored and distracted so I, i'm kind of a, a reader um trying to do work but the problem is i'm so large um like shoulder wise <laughs> nobody likes sitting beside me and secondarily like my legs are so long like to try and put a laptop on my lap and and to work is just it's you know, comical it's comical it is. it's yeah. really weird it's great yeah. i look like bowser driving in like the super mario kart car <laughs> you know as, as i'm working so anyway well, hey, um, this week we have a guest on the show. It's uh, Nathan Westlake. He's the lead pastor of Prairie Alliance Church in Portage La Prairie. And uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about his rural multi-site church, like a really unique model that he's going uh, got going on there. And he's in your district, isn't mm-hmm. he, Jeremy? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I get a chance to be up there hopefully in the next couple of weeks, but probably in the next month or so. And yeah, really unique model. Uh, and helping meet a really tangible need in our district in a way that I think people have thought of before, but maybe have not been able to execute. Yeah. And so that's something that um, I'm thrilled to to hear what uh, he's going to share. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and just an incredible story of his church's journey of um, reconciliation uh, with First Nations people and uh, his mission with them as well. And uh, he's going to talk to us a little bit about resiliency as well in staying healthy in ministry. So looking forward to that conversation. So, guys, thanks for joining me today, and uh, don't get rained on too much. And uh, Jeremy, thanks for popping in for, hey, for today. Happy to and, stop uh, by. We'll have to have you back here on the show as well. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Well, hey, we are here with Nathan Westlake. He is the lead pastor of Prairie Alliance Church in Portage La Prairie, and uh, so glad that he's here to talk to us uh, today about uh, what God's been doing uh, in in his life and in his church. So, Nathan, just want to say welcome to the Church in the North podcast. Thanks, Rob. It's nice to be here. Really appreciate the uh, the Anglophone pronunciation of Portage La Prairie. La Portage. That's how that's how that's how like ninety nine percent of the people who live in Portage say it. Uh, Did portage. they say portage or portage? Portage, yeah. There's not much, not many francophones here, but originally, obviously, that was the origin of the title. Well, uh, yeah, and I mean, maybe that's a little embarrassing since that I am uh, a Chartrand or Chartron and uh, am Métis. So, I, of all people who should maybe say it right, it, it might be me. It should. It probably should be you. If you want to start again, I understand. No, I'll, I'll just leave it. Uh, okay. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll avoid butchering it. Um, uh, you and I, yeah. I mean, we've we've got history. We've we've done some podcast time together. Uh, we're in the same tribe, the uh, Christian Missionary Alliance, and uh, um, I've spent some time at your cabin in the woods, uh, which did. is an adventure in and of itself. <laughs> So many stories I could tell, but uh, I'll, I'll I'll spare our listeners the uh, the gory details at this point. Um, but let's let's talk about you and and a bit about your church. Uh, why don't you just explain to us what's your what's your current role uh, with uh, Prairie Alliance Church? I am the lead pastor at Prairie Alliance Church. 
that's pretty much my current role. There's a it's a multi-site, uh, multi-staff church, so most of my time is spent uh, in that vision casting and calibrating the staff, keeping the teams properly motivated and happy. And then I also do the majority of the teaching here on a Sunday morning. Okay, great. Uh, let, let's talk a little bit about your leadership journey. Um, you, you're a, you're a hometown boy. Uh, so you're the prophet who's not welcome in his own hometown, uh, moved away, eventually found yourself back to where you're at. But uh, give us a bit of a, a snapshot of your your church leadership journey. I, I don't think it starts as most uh, pastoral leadership journeys start. So tell us about that. No, our church has been in this building since 1986, I think. And uh, before that, we were in a different part of town. And my family's first Sunday at Prairie Alliance Church, then Portage Alliance Church, was like two Sundays before we moved into this building. Okay. So I've been a part of this church it's all since since probably 86, in one way or another. So I grew up here, graduated from the high school that's affiliated with this church. Mm. I get to walk past my grad photo on the wall every day. It's no bigger than anybody other anybody else's grad photo, just for the record. We keep it all, you know, the same same size. There's, no, uh, there's a big yellow highlighter circle. Yeah, there's a bit of a halo around it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then uh, I was away for a couple years to, uh, to university and to Regent College. I guess it was more than a couple years, but however long that takes to do your undergrad and your, your master's. And then I was in Winnipeg for two years as a youth pastor at what was then First Alliance Church, and then found myself back here in my home church as the teaching pastor, was in that role for about four years and have been the lead pastor ever since. So yes, like you said, I was the the prophet who, I was welcomed, but I didn't have honor. <laughs> so, so I was without honor, even though they welcomed me. And I've had to sort of earn the honor part of it over the last 20 years. Yeah. Okay, so you um, you've only been the lead pastor, I understand, uh, there for sixteen years. Um, uh, so how did how did that transition happen? How did you work your way into a different role? There was two guys on the team back then: the lead pastor Ray Wilms and uh, the executive pastor Jake Enns. And Jake has since passed away a couple years ago. And they were both in a season where they they were wanting to transition and looking at what was least disruptive for the church. Mm. And they discerned that right under their noses, they had the person that they thought would be a good lead pastor. And so mm. they started the the ball in motion with the board and uh, with the denomination. And uh, then once they, they had that, they came to me and I could kind of see it coming. And so that was really where it started, what was interesting for me was I thought that the transition was going to be in title only. They had mm. developed me to the point where I felt like I was running everything and people just didn't know it. And so I wasn't imagining there would be really any shift right. in, uh, in how I felt. I was quite surprised by that, actually, looking, looking back at the, I don't know, the psychological weight, maybe, of leadership and the title. The biggest thing that that I felt was the financial side of it mm. um, was suddenly my responsibility, and we were in the middle of a fairly large building campaign, at least by our standards then, that was suddenly right in front of me. And uh, the first two years were really taken up with trying to raise money for that. Right. Yeah. The mantle is the mantle is heavy in the lead pastor role, and you don't really feel the full weight of the budget until you're in that role, and then it's suddenly, oh man. I remember going out with a guy early on, uh, an experienced pastor with more experience than me in Winnipeg at the time, and I'm picking his brain as a new lead pastor. I'm like, what does, what do I do here? What books do I read? How does this all? And finally, he just stops me. 
He's like, how long have you been lead pastor? I was like, a year and a half. He's like, oh, yeah, well, just wait. Like, by the time you get to year five, all this stuff is okay. Hmm. And I was like, that's so not helpful. But, uh, and it might not have been, except he was right. Some of the things just, you just have to adjust to and acclimatize to and have your capacity build naturally. And that seems to have been what happened. Yeah. Well, you know, succession planning is a bit of a challenge for a lot of churches. I mean, I know in in your denomination, uh, your lead pastor doesn't just wave a wand and suddenly choose a successor. Involved in all that is also a board of elders, right? So how, how how did that work its way out with you guys? We have the distinction, I'll say, of being one of the only churches I know of that's been able to do it quite this way. doesn't mean there aren't others, but what it does mean is that myself and my predecessor, Ray Wilms, have been invited by probably four or five churches to coach them through a scenario like this, because it's very desirable, obviously. You have a known commodity, and there's minimal disruption to the congregation. Hopefully, the predecessor doesn't have to go move and, you know, become a Home Depot creeder or something like that. Right. And, uh, And we managed to do that. Ray is still a part of the church. He's still active in ministry. He still comes to the occasional staff meeting. Uh, he was on staff for about six of the years afterwards, and it was just been a really good, good story. The variables for us that have allowed it to work here in ways that it's broken down in other places, because those places that we did the consulting, none of it has come to be the way that we all had hoped it would be. Okay. Either the the new guy or the new pastor flamed out early, or the the outgoing pastor didn't really outgo. They uh, they stuck around and it got a little ugly and then they really did have to go. But that scenario where both people get to stay and flourish is pretty yeah. rare. Yeah. When I think about what we managed to do, um, there's a few factors. Ray and I worked together for six years probably before that transition. And for two of those years, he was fighting cancer. Mm. So there was there was a strong emotional bond and trust that was built in a season where both of us could have done dumb things and they would have been understandable, um, but they still would have been dumb. I could have grasped for more than I had in his absence. He could have powered up as, what are you doing, kid? I'm out of commission. This is this is wrong of you to do. But we navigated that almost pseudo-transition ahead of time. So that's one thing, high levels of trust, whatever form that takes. Yeah. And, and then, like, I mean, what's that? And mutual submission. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing is, our board was smart enough to not look for a junior version of Ray. Hmm. Yeah. They wanted something very different, and that made it easier because um, that meant when people continued to go to Ray when he was on staff for what he was good at, it wasn't outside of his new lane. The pastoral care, the shepherding, the counseling, the the um, marrying and burying—that was all still in his wheelhouse. Yeah, and so he wasn't—he uh, wasn't that younger, quote unquote, visionary leader that they were wanting uh, back then. I was those things. So uh, we didn't we didn't necessarily um, overlap. And what I see in some churches, and it's always a red flag in the secession planning, is like, oh, so and so—it's just like a younger version of. I'm like that's not going to work probably because uh because you're not able to separate vocational priorities from people. 
Yeah, I mean, and 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 I think having the different roles and, and different gift sets really helps to eliminate some of that comparison trap that can happen, right? You're you're, you're right. you'll never be as good as this guy at this, or maybe you're better yeah. at this and this. And it's like, no, actually, we're just we're just different types of right. leaders. Yeah, we had already conceded that, right? I will never be as good as him at these things. He might yeah. stretch me in that way, and that'll be helpful. But I don't. I'm not even going to try, and vice versa. Yeah, good. Hey, um, a lot has happened in your church uh, over the years, um, so I want to I want to dig deeper into that uh, because I think that's going to be really helpful to our listeners to maybe mm-hmm. reimagine um, different ways of of uh, conceiving of the church or um, helping them maybe to synthesize what you've learned and, and apply it in their own settings. But uh, one of the things I want to talk about is one of the unique features of your church is it, is that it is a rural, multi-site church. Uh, so unpack that a little bit for our listeners. The genesis of that idea is tied to a season that our church had where our board was feeling like they needed to come up with something that was distinctly ours to be focused on that was greater than my own personality or attention span. Because we had been in a bit of a season, as I think most churches are aware uh, the pastor goes away to a conference or reads a new book and wants to change everything to focus on on uh, what's new and exciting for them. And I had a tendency to do that. So we wanted we were wanting to have things that we were about, a vision for the church that was larger than anybody's personality or preferences. So they entered a period of discernment for about a year and a half. And out of that, they received four guiding prayers for the church that they believe and we cherish as being what we're about as long as our doors are open. And one of those things was that we were to be a church that planted rural churches in, well, in rural hubs. So the, the terminology we use is rural hubs. And so we're looking for towns that are like Portage La Prairie, cities that aren't that big, but a good rule of thumb is is basically they're big enough to have a Walmart. Mm. So if there's some sort of demographic study, Walmart's already done it. You have a, a greater service area. It's the town where people come to get groceries, go to a movie, go to eat, that kind of thing. But there'd be lots of farms and smaller little communities around. The heart behind it, though, aside from kind of being guided that way, was understanding what our church here in Portage had provided to a small town that often small towns don't have. Okay. And that that was a church that you could invite somebody who was unchurched to fairly easily. And you knew that they would have, if they did come, uh, a good experience. They would understand what was being said. The music wouldn't be something that you would have to apologize or get them acclimatized to. Um, it wouldn't be ultra-conservative in dress, these sorts of things. So right, it, right. It, and it was, it was that to me. I was playing hockey and had this prayer that I wanted 25 of these guys that I play hockey with to visit our church by 2025. I actually keep, kept changing it. It was 20 by 2020, and then it had to be 21 by 2021, et cetera. Now it's 25 by 25. And uh, I loved that if I could get them to say yes, I had a place to take them. But I understood that in a lot of these, we understood that in a lot of these small towns, if you are playing softball with somebody or you're at the the mums and tots thing with somebody or whatever, and you're starting to have spiritual conversations, you don't have necessarily a community that they will find winsome and engaging to help you lead them towards Christ. Right, right. And we wanted to provide that in rural hubs. 
So, um, tell me a little bit about that then. I, I think, uh, how did, how did you end up going from a desire to bring your hockey mates to uh, a church plant to, uh, a, you know, or to a local church to uh, kind of getting this off the ground? What was its genesis? The genesis was fairly pragmatic. We wanted to be close enough that we could send volunteer teams up. At the time, and we've changed this since, we thought we were really along the lines of a, a strict franchise model. Right. Like, let's let's just do everything the same because it worked here in Portage. So let's go an hour up the road. There was a town called Nipawa that was growing at the time, uh, largely due to a lot of immigration. And uh, they didn't have the kind of church that uh, that Pack would have tried to be there in that season. And so we, we started thinking about that, dreaming about that, talking about it. And I remember talking about it a lot with, with our congregation, getting people starting to think about maybe giving money to this, getting some of our teams excited about maybe driving up on a Sunday morning to do music, starting to staff accordingly. And in one particular meeting, our music pastor asked this question that was such a balloon popper as I'm mm. trying to create this, this energy. Uh, he goes, do we, do we know anybody in Nipua that is like interested in this? <laughs> And I remember saying, thinking to myself, like, shut up. That's not helpful. Just keep, just keep the momentum train going. We'll just charge blindly there. But, uh, but we prayed uh, instead of me chastising him for just, you know, asking a good question. I uh, pivoted and we, we prayed a little bit that the Lord would bring us somebody quickly. And that Sunday, somebody showed up on a Sunday morning that uh, was very timely, but it was quite hilarious. It's okay. the sort of thing that you begin to expect of, of the Lord over, you know, as the years of walking with him. So we're, we're positioning ourselves as this gift to Nipah that's going to be young and hip and relevant and, you know, come with your whatever at the time was, you know, the plunging V-necks and the ripped jeans, whatever, at, at the, in that season. And, and you'll, you'll find a, a community. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, well, that would have been, I won't even try and guess uh, when that was relevant. But the uh, the person that showed up uh, was Ruben and Mary Claussen, and they were both in their mid eighties. Nice, and uh, so so different than what we imagined that it was almost disappointing. <laughs> somebody came up to me that morning. They're like, "Hey, you you prayed for somebody to come." From Nipua, right? I'm like, yeah, yeah. Oh, they're here. They're here. Come, come in, meet them. So I come running out in the lobby before uh, before the sermon, and I'm looking for you know somebody that's that fits that mold. And there's Reuben and Mary, and I was like, oh, okay, I'll go and and try and have conversation with them. But but uh, the Lord really used them to open a door there to build a nucleus of a community, mm. and they had been praying for a church like ours for about 15 years. Wow. Okay. So we, yeah. So that was that was just the that was a, it was a sweet little moment of recalibration, some some humility in our own journey, and uh, through them we got a bit of uh, community there, and then uh, it's actually quite a story around how we got the building, which I can tell you. We looked at an old funeral home that was being sold. So mm. our first experience of this building was walking through, seeing all these coffins lined up. So our board was quite taken with the sim symbolism, right? We're, we're just looking for any kind of sign here. And we're <laughs> like, oh, look, it was a place of death. Now it'll be a place of life. And I'm, you know, half rolling my eyes and half going, sure, you know, if that helps us move things along, I'll, I'll be with you on that. That's and, marketable, but okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That didn't make it on the sign. Um, 
but we were finishing up this building program in Portage that had me stressed. And we were at the end of uh, a season where we needed, I think, something like another quarter million dollars, and we were behind budget. So we needed money for the capital campaign. We needed money for this uh, this building. And then uh, looking to build this building in, or buy this building in Nipua. It started the building in Nipua. They wanted about 450000 for it, something like that, which was fine, market value, that kind of thing. And uh, there's no way we could, we could do that. Mm-hmm. Then the owner calls and says, I'll knock 100000 bucks off the price. I'm good to have a church here. Hmm. I was like, I still, still don't think we can, we can do that. Calls back two days later. It's like, I, I can do a $75,000 personal donation to you. And, uh, and you can, it's like, okay, it's getting interesting, but no, we still like, we don't, we don't have two cents to, to put towards this thing. And then he convinces his business partner to, uh, to match his donation of 75,000. So that brings it down. I think it was like 130,000 bucks. And I was almost at the place where like, well, geez, I think I can afford this. Like <laughs> the church can probably, can probably manage. So, so we saw some of that momentum, uh, early wow. on and that's what got us there. And, and it's not like you talk them down. It's just that uh, your lack of resources, he just, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, we weren't strategic. I wasn't I wasn't thinking I'm going to play some hardball here. It was just legitimate. Um, here's our situation and the Lord stirring his heart. Huh, wow. Well, since then, I mean, you, you, you started in, in Nipua and then, Nipua, and then uh, since then you've added Dryden and Dolphin, is that right? Dauphin, yeah. Dauphin, dauphin. is there a dauphin. There's another. There's another French word, for the dauphin. Uh, awesome. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm thinking there got to be a lot of unique challenges in leading a multi-site church, um, let alone a rural multi-site church. Like, I mean, these are these are our rural places, um, and maybe with their own unique context, but very similar context as well. Um, Tell us about maybe some of the challenges that you faced, uh, you know, leading this, you know, uh, this very complex organization now that then, you know, that's different than just leading one site, you know, what, what are some of the leadership challenges you faced and um, how have you dealt with them? Two that come to mind immediately are, uh, how do you pay attention to the uniqueness of the location that you're going to yeah. and honoring, honoring that, uh, that uniqueness and those distinctives of those towns and those communities at the same time as unapologetically trying to bring a culture that's healthier than what was there. Um, if there was a culture, a church culture there that was healthy, um, we wouldn't go. Right. So, so you want to, you want to honor the distinctive parts of the community at the same time as not have what you do be determined by that. Okay. So you, you don't want to franchise you want to, how do you take the right amount of cues from the location and how do you pair those with the strength of, of the mother church has been a bit of a dance for us that we're still figuring out. And then in the midst of that, the other thing that would be difficult is how do you build trust across that wide of a geographical region? Because Dauphin is about 900 kilometers from Dryden and Nipawa is kind of in the middle of that and Portage is a little bit farther down so we're not we're not a multi-site church in suburban atlanta where everybody can get in the room and talk to each other at staff meeting Hmm. 
yeah so we have to build uh build good trust across across those things and then here in portage i've been pastor for 20 years in dryden i've been the pastor for a year okay and they've they've only met me maybe a dozen times right how does that affect things like a dynamic in an annual meeting and uh we're we're trying to sort all that stuff out yeah yeah and and i mean if if some of our listeners have never um uh, led a multi-site church or been familiar with the multi-site church i mean there are these polarities or these tensions that you have to try and navigate i mean one of them is um are you going to be you know a, a multi-site church that looks the same and acts the same everywhere um, or are you going to be a multi-site church that uh, gives a lot of flexibility and diversity to um, each local site while still kind of maintaining the quote-unquote brand or the ethos or the DNA of of the overall church? I mean, and and that's a, that's unique to every every church multi-site how they're going to do it. Like, there's lots of different forms and ways um, they they can do that. Uh, so, yeah, is it cookie cutter? Like, say, I think the great example of that is like Life Church. I mean, they're they're right. Every church is the same wherever you go, um, but they're also setting up in very similar types of neighborhoods where they're planting, like for the most part, right? So, um, but then on the other hand, you might have um, what's called not multi-site, but multi-church, whereas they give a lot of local autonomy to the local church, and then they're more or less just kind of resourcing uh, that small little church. And where I mean, where are you guys kind of at in this um, tension between the two Polish uh, you've laid that out fairly well. Um, we we have floated between the two poles as we've tried to figure it out. So I can, but I can give you a snapshot of where we are now. Yeah, and and maybe a bit of why. We have had seasons where we have wanted the sites to have more autonomy, yeah, um, more more uniqueness, and those have been times where there's been a emergence in those communities of some of the dysfunction that kept a healthy church from being there in the past. Okay. Now I say that knowing that it could sound like, yeah, but what about how unhealthy you are? You know, you empire building lead pastor who has to sure. have it your way. Um, I'll just ask your listeners to trust I'm I'm not that way. But the, <laughs> the, uh, the way that we're set up diffuses some of the chronic problems that can come up in a rural church where over time they've cycled through pastors of decreasing levels of education and experience as the budget shrinks. Yeah. And at the same time as that's happened, whoever it was who either with good intentions or sometimes with malignant intentions is paying the bills and keeping the door open grows in power and and standing in the church and it eventually isn't so much you know first baptist church of whatever it's this church that's run by this family right exactly and yeah. and when it's run by a family um there's often these these problems and you see that in in rural churches so the more that our central location with governance and with budget and direction and decision making uh it it lets us import a healthy culture but then you risk people just showing up for something that they don't actually have a stake in or yeah. that doesn't feel like them or it's artificial. And we don't want that either. So what do we do? Well, we try to have structures and forms that are continuous across all the sites, but that within those structures and forms, you can put in content that makes sense and that's site-specific. 
our own little mini liturgy is for our churches to float along week by week by um, an upside down rhythm, upside down party rhythm. Yeah, we'll chat about that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you want to go yes. now? You want to talk um, about maybe I'll maybe I'll go now because it'll flesh it out. Yeah, so that I think comes out bring of, it all together. Yeah, let's yeah. go for it. So that comes out of Acts seventeen six, where they're alarmed that the people who have turned the world upside down have now come here. And I started playing with that a few years ago, and um, thought that's a that's an easy way for like a five year old to understand what a church is about: um, up to God, side to each other in in uh, in community, and down in humble acts of service. And then one of our associate pastors was like, "We're we're missing out on the the full cadences and rhythms of the Christian life if we don't celebrate." Mm. So it's actually not that different than what every church on the planet has, right? Yeah. So, so we do stuff that wants to um, connect people to God. We're connecting with each other, and we're serving, or some yeah. some version of that. Where it's different for us is it permeates every aspect of our culture. So the themes of our staff meetings, the themes of our house churches, the themes of our youth group, the themes of our kids ministry, um, they are distinctively upside down or party. And on yeah. so Sunday morning, Sunday morning, there's there's different things that happen when it's an up Sunday than when it's a down Sunday. Across all sites, right? Across all sites. So the, the configuration of the chairs changes, the opening prayer changes, the, um, the benediction changes, but it's standardized um, all, across all sites. Every site would have some sort of a celebration potluck kind of meal on a, on a party week. There would be collecting groceries on a down week. And there's all these different, different cultural elements built in. Yeah. But... They would decide what what does down mean for them? What does side mean for them? What does up mean for them inside of those forms? And yeah. so you've got some continuity, but also some, across a broad range, but also some uh, some specificity that feels localized. Yeah. So I mean, just to help listeners understand, help me understand. I mean, the, yeah. what you're saying is you basically have a four week rotation that just keeps yeah. going, right? Up one week, the emphasis is upside down. And then and then party, um, or, you know, and, and then re, you know rinse and repeat. Um, but yep. it's a, and it's a so it's a liturgy, but it's a rotating yeah. four week liturgy. Um, and does that happen all all year long, or do you make exceptions at all, or is it just how does that work? Uh, we we haven't made an exception in years. Okay. Yeah, it, what about the uh, leap year? You don't make an exception for the leap no, year. No, no, we just do some complicated math <laughs> and, uh, and and figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, but is it, is every Sunday look radically different or there are some commonalities, but then there's like an emphasis on up week on up and an emphasis on side. How does that, how do you, how does you make that work? They, are you talking radically different as far as the syllables are different from each other or radically different that Dauphin might look quite a bit different than Dryden? Uh, n- no, not, not from site to site, just okay. generally how you do your service planning or your, for that day. Not radically different, okay, but but distinctive enough that that you would know that it's the syllable specific Sunday. So some of it is is subconscious. The the fonts and the colors of each syllable are different. The atmosphere in the room is different. The um, announcements are usually made after an opening song, and then there's a moment where we all stand and we'll say the up prayer together, and there'll be an explanation of what the upside down life is. And then uh, we're we're off to the the races for the rest of the service, and then the benediction is up specific. Where you'd see even more distinctiveness is in our weekly house church or small groups gatherings. Okay, where where they very rigorously focus on the syllables in a way that we can't as much in the large group. So up is 
about your personal relationship with Jesus, your Bible reading, your prayer, your evangelism. It's, it's the more spiritual of the weeks. The side week is where you get to talk about your, your marriage, your, your fight with your mom, that, that social part of community. Yeah. And then the down is when they actually have all the house churches go out and serve the community somewhere. And then party, you are supposed to invite somebody to come check out your house church and you just do something fun. Wow. This, is, this really helps purify, maybe that's the wrong word, uh, diversify what a house church experience is. Because everybody's been in part of a house church where the house church leader, they really just wish that they were Rob Chartrand teaching theology at Briarcrest. And, and now is their chance. Every week they have a captive audience in their living room. That's right. And Sit at my feet. Yeah, exactly. And, and they're, they're going to do a deep dive <laughs> on Song of Songs for their whole summer. And, and you know, eventually people are like, we don't want to do this all the time but nor do you want a side week all the time where you're chronically just talking about somebody's dysfunctional relationship somewhere and it sabotages everything yeah or you're swimming in the shallow pool of pooled ignorance and everybody shares their own subjective opinion of what scripture means and uh, nobody comes to any concrete solutions or agreements. yeah yeah but, but or even if we do that we just do that on up week yeah so, so that that is just <laughs> the damage is mitigated by yeah. by the syllable, and uh, you know the person who's always like, we need to get out in the community and do something, and that they have their down week outlet. Yeah. Well, everyone needs a down week, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> it's usually the week after Easter. That's how it rolls for pastors. Um, <clears throat> okay, so uh, upside down. You've you've actually written a book about this. Um, and uh, I, I I got a copy and um, I was looking through it and and this is a, this is really an interesting premise behind the book. I mean it's 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 a book for uh, you have a friend who wants to know more about Christianity. They just kind of stepped into this Christian world and they're just trying to navigate it and figure it out basically. Right. And um, you know the book is is captivating. It's 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 narrative form. Um, you really get into the heads of the, I think the the the, uh, the readers and kind of what they're experiencing, um, but essentially you kind of unpack what it means to have an upside down life. Is am I right. am I reading your mail? Is that is that kind of what the book's about? Or you yeah, want to add to that? Uh, definitely, I can add to that. So I had a sabbatical about six or seven years ago that the board wanted me to write something, and they wanted me to write on. Uh, a project I had going called The Braid. And so I did a bunch of writing on this and uh, I got about 110 pages in and, and uh, got, got a decent start on it. And then, uh, and then I had a friend who had recently come to church for the first time, about 31 years old. Hmm. And it's the story I tell on the back cover. They wanted, they wanted a resource. And so I'm like, oh, well, there's a great book by N.T. Wright. There's this one by Willard. There's, and I was like, no, they, they aren't that person. But everything that was on the lower shelf, I thought, theologically, this is going to be pragmatic. Like, this is pro problematic for them. I couldn't, I couldn't find the book that I thought would actually set them up um, that could meet them where they're at and hold their attention. So, yeah. um, so I decided I'd give it a shot. Uh, writing it. And uh, I had in my mind people who haven't read much since they were forced to in high school. Yeah, And uh, if you could communicate and hold the tension. So a lot of it is tongue-in-cheek, irreverent. Um, my mom 
read it and was really annoyed at me, my, my, my pious Christian mom. Um, she was worried that I had insulted my cousins and the joke were off color and the whole thing was lacking in holiness. And uh, she's, she's since come around as, she, as she's seen some of the fruit of it. So I would say this, when it's ended up in the hands of the people that I was dreaming about it ending up in, it's been really gratifying to see how the Lord has used it. Right. And some of, the, some of the people that have caught that um, have ordered good good numbers of copies for their churches and for, for new people and that kind of thing. But it's also been a little bit polarizing. I mean, not like it's a household name or anything, but but for people who some of them just, they didn't make it past chapter three. Uh, they were just offended. They thought it was silly. But that's not the person I'm writing for because they're the one that's going to pull Max Lucado off the shelf and, and find something that they like. Right. Well, this is definitely not Max Lucado. Um, but I mean, it's, it's and, and you're, you're not trying to be, um, you know, you're a Gen Xer, right? Is that yep. right? Yeah. Yep. I mean, and so you're not trying to be the typical Gen Xer who's like uh, angsty and anti-establishment and trying to, you know, write something just for the sake of um, being that way. And, you know, you're actually, right. you're actually seeking to do good gospel contextualization. Right. Very much so. Knowing your audience so. and how do you yeah. translate the gospel to those listeners? Yeah. Yeah, there's no deconstruction in it at all. There's there's no like, um, yeah, um, I hope my love for Jesus comes through loud and clear. Yeah. And it, it definitely fuels it. But it is very much got somebody in mind that um, I wanted to write the only book of its kind. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, I, if I hope listeners, we'll, we'll put it in the show notes, but I hope listeners uh, who are yeah, looking for a resource like that uh, would, uh, would would pick it up and give it a shot. So, um, okay. So I want to talk about another beautiful side to your church's story uh, that uh, I think listeners need to hear about. And I, and I know that you and I talked about this um, quite a bit. And and I think on the, the one podcast that we were on, you, you were able to share a lot about that. And um, it's dear to my heart because I think it's, 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 it kind of rubs against my own childhood and my own story. Um, but uh, you talked about your desire for your local church to have uh, a church population that reflects the demographic of your community. Let's start there. So sure. you don't want your church to be, you want, you know, when you look at the the population breakdown of uh, social demographic and, and ethnic demographic of the community of Portage, <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, you want to make sure that Prairie reflects that. It looks like that. So tell me about that. This was uh, one of those four prayers that I alluded to earlier. That the, one of the four prayers was rural hubs. The uh, another one was um, at the time it was one third indigenous mm-hmm. because we only had the one church here in Portage the Prairie, and for us to be representative of our larger community on a Sunday morning would be for me or whoever's on stage or in the congregation to look around and see that we are made up as a congregation of one-third Indigenous people, and it grieved us that we weren't. So Portage the Prairie has three large reserves very close by, and the town itself is made up of one-third Indigenous people. And in our church, when we first articulated this prayer Let's say our church back then was about 600 people. It's since shrunk. Um, I would say maybe 30 hmm. were were indigenous, and most of them were in the same two families. Okay. So it seemed to me and to us like this was not a sign of the kingdom that is to come. 
where all of the diversity of the nations bring their glory into the holy city and yeah. we learn from each other and so we strove and wanted to be a sign of that kingdom and that was the corporate side of it yeah what i was unprepared for was how god would stir my heart more powerfully for this kind of ministry than anything else that i have ever been stirred towards in my entire life and it gripped me i remember the day i was coming out of our gym on the first day of school and we had we're blessed to have 20 kids come from a local reserve that had been in a little reserve school till grade eight and now they're coming to portage to school for grade mm. nine mm. and i watched them a little bit through the morning and they were so out of sorts um indigenous kids in a white christian school i mean that's going to be a little bit peculiar and and cause some fear and they were at lunch all standing in the vestibule by the parking lot and i thought well that's good at least they have somebody to come and take them for lunch and and uh and spend some time with them and i watched a little longer and i realized <laughs> they're all bluffing they oh. they are trying to look like kids who have somebody coming for them hmm. it really really a kind of a minor thing but i i went over and started chatting with them this guy fumbling along trying to talk about movies and music and basketball just just trying to make somebody and that was such a formative experience of the holy spirit for me hmm. i i actually had to leave that little room because of how i was starting to sob hmm. and i had a one o'clock meeting that i ended up being about five minutes late for went in to talk to uh the team there that i think we were planning a sunday morning or something and told them what just happened again just sort of a small little thing and i started started crying again. The team was just delighted because generally I'm kind of stoic. So if, if I'm in tears, it's like <laughs> cause for celebration. So there was no empathy. But since then, um, my passion that the Lord has given me in my heart for this, he has, he has not left me frustrated. He's opened all kinds of doors for ministry for our church to Indigenous people. That's mm -hmm. been tremendously gratifying. Hmm. So why, why were they in the vestibule? I, I'm just trying to get a bit more context there. Yeah, you know, every time I tell the story, I'm like, it's not a very good one. It's probably just a me story because it moved me so much. But but they had this look on their face like they're they're looking out of the parking lot for the person that's going to come and give them a ride so that they can go out for lunch with that person. Right. But that person's actually not coming. They're just they're just bluffing. So it was a picture of their their lostness and their aloneness, yeah. and I just I just my heart went out to them. So did they have lunch? No, they didn't have lunch, uh, but they did every Wednesday for the next six years. I started a lunch for those kids, and uh, I run into them around town. Um, they show me their their babies. If I'm buying a a beer or something, I have, there's often one of them at the liquor mart. Most of them haven't finished high school. Um, yeah. They're all wanting to make better choices, but those better choices are eluding them. Mm -hmm. uh, by God's by God's grace and kindness, uh, one of those young men that was at that lunch ended up being one of our foster kids for the last five years. Wow. Yeah. So so um, just dove in where I could, and it's turned into some pretty remarkable stuff for our church in the last couple of years. 
Well, this this is a you know it's a challenge to work cross cultural in any situation, Nathan. I mean, for any church, and and I think a lot of our listeners are wondering, well, what you know, how do I start? Where do I, you know, where where did it mm-hmm. start with you guys? What did you go from there? Like, obviously, God has given you a sense of holy discontent in your heart. Something's, you know, something is stirring. And uh, but what what happened next? Where did it go? I think it was. Uh, there's two tracks. Um, and maybe it, it's hard to articulate, but there's the there's the standard church stuff where we have the rhetoric and, oh, do we ever want to make a difference? And it's heartbreaking, but we don't want to make people projects and we don't want to, uh, to step on any cultural toes and history yeah. is complicated. And so we end up just chatting, chatting, chatting about the whole thing and, uh, and maybe send, uh, send money somewhere or, or do land acknowledgements. And those are both fine things to do. Um, and we try to do some of those things. Yeah, but I think I think more just what happened in our church was was God just grew our hearts to a place where we couldn't possibly have projects. It would be impossible. That was when somebody would accuse us of that. It was just nonsense, because when when love for um, for people, a desire to learn from them, a desire to provide in whatever way you're invited to provide shelter from some of the things that history has rained down on them, and to help them change their family trees as they want to and let them write their own story when when you're invited into that and they sense that you have a heart good enough and trustworthy enough to be invited into that so so that's what's happened for us we've just gotten invited into a lot of things Hmm. and one of the blessings of being here for 20 years is that um, if another church said wow nathan's good at reconciliation Let's invite him into our church because we want to be good at reconciliation. It just wouldn't work. Yeah. But it has to be a 20-year story to be where we are of uh, kids that needed rides and people that needed babysitting and uh, apologies made and trust built. So so I don't quite know how we did it, but I know where we are right now. And it's, yeah. it's spectacular. Like, I get to fly up to God's Lake Narrows next week on an airplane that the Lord provided for our church to give us access into fly-in communities so that we can help elders in those communities preserve their indigenous stories, their songs, before they pass away and they're, they're lost. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, how do you get from having lunch with five grade nine kids that aren't so sure they want to have lunch with you to being invited to God's Lake Narrows to help with the Sundance is a story that only the Lord can orchestrate, but he has to break your heart for it first. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and that's just it. I mean, you, you can't, you can't orchestrate any of those scenarios, can you? They, they, they just kind of weave their way into it. But what, what you can orchestrate is inculcating a right posture in your church community as a leader, like, like that, that it starts with, I mean, that conversation and the what if, and what does it mean to be a people who are pushing towards that grand vision in the book of Revelation of, of the final things where, you know, as you say, all the nations are coming into the, into the city. I mean, what, right. right? I mean, so you must have laid some groundwork with your, with your own church family for this, or maybe God was already doing it in your midst and you just added water to it. I don't know. What, what did that look like for you guys? That's a really good question. Um, I think I think God just does stuff, Rob. Hmm. Um, I do agree that that our part would be to risk 
Um, and our parts would be sensitive enough to be vulnerable enough to say, I'm actually not going to look away from this thing that, that is stirring me. I'm going to try and look it full in the face and just take, take that in a real vulnerable way. And then the beautiful th thing about reconciliation maybe is that you can't actually manage it. Yeah. Like, like there's no technique for it. So I'm delighted at what's happened. And it's not just me and our church. There's different businesses that have changed their entire philosophy of business to try to bless Northern communities with services that aren't gouging them in any way and the way that I've seen God provide for them and bless them. Um, but I don't know that I have anything other than, than I was surprised that I was having an emotional reaction to this one particular problem in front of me that I've never had to any, any other problem problem that I've ever seen. And as I started to walk towards it, God radically transformed transformed me and then gave me opportunities that line up with it. Like I, I imagine it wouldn't be a whole lot different with what you might be in for with your shift to Briarcrest. Like you have a passion to see to save the church. I, I'll put it that way. There's there's a void of young leaders in the church. Yeah. And you look across Canada with a stirred heart and blinking back tears and you're like, I'm gonna give my life to change this. And it gives you energy and opportunities come and introductions come and, and you're, you just get to say thank you, Jesus, along the way. So I suspect, I suspect most ministers or, or Christians would have that stirring um, and they just need to jump on it. Yeah, no, I agree. I guess, you know, with our, with our, well, I think about the cross point, our, our church plant in Northeast Edmonton and, and our desire to be a, to be a multi-ethnic church and to, in the same, in the same way to, to see our church um, community reflect the, the kaleidoscope of cultures and people all around it. I mean, we're in Northeast Edmonton, it's very multi-ethnic and, and just so many beautiful uh, people from so many different parts of the world living there. And, um, but when we planted Crosspoint, we were pretty monolithic. Like we were, we were right. a, a pretty white bunch. I mean, I, I was, you know, I, I, I'm Métis, but I'm, I'm, I'm the white kid in the family. Right. And so I, 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 I look pretty, uh, pretty European and, uh, but I'm not, um, but we didn't have a lot of, um, but, but our, you know, a lot of different ethnicities, um, other than European, Anglo-European ethnicities, but we really wanted to, um, to, to reach all of these different cultures around us. And, and, but the challenge is you can't program that. You can't program your way towards that. You can't, you, you it's just, uh, I, I like to say we accidentally fell into it. Like, but, but the one thing I think I could do at the time in our early days of Crosspoint was just continue to, to share Christ's vision for the nations and to try and model that in my own life. Right. Um, and then at the, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, Jesus just, you know, began bringing people and developing relationships and whatnot. Um, and I think our, our church community was open to it, you know, because we, we had that posture. Um, because I know there's not every church has that posture yet, or they're growing towards it. But like, I, so that's why I, I kind of pressing on you a little bit is, yeah, like, not you, know, you were, you were, maybe you probably were digging up the soil a little yeah. bit. Yeah. There's, there's two things as I've, you know, I've been listening to you and reflecting if I can't answer your question a little better than I did, um, that have come to my mind. Yeah. And so when you're engaging with Indigenous spirituality, like I alluded to us going and recording these stories, yeah, you're going to have people in any church go, why? Like those, are, those aren't Jesus stories, um, maybe in their most 
the critical way, they'd be like, aren't, aren't we maybe better off without those demon stories being there? And right. sometimes, sometimes I'll hear this from indigenous Christians. So, so there's some teaching that has to happen around that about uh, the supremacy of, of Christ and, and the lack of uh, fear when we enter into some of these places. And then, and then a telling of the stories as well, because most of the time when I've heard a elder share a story with me, it is so congruous or adjacent to a parable of Jesus or one of his wisdom teachings. Like here's, here's a funny example to me. I asked a Dakota elder, teach me something about God I don't know. Mm-hmm. What would you what would you say to me and people like me? And he said, "Well, you need to know that for the Creator, one of His priorities is for us to share our blessings with each other, not to hoard them ourselves. So, like, if you have two coats, the Creator would want you to share with somebody who only has mm. one or who doesn't have anything." <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, what a controversial, subversive indigenous teaching this is, right? It was sort of like, tell the Christians that if they have two of something, they should share. Like, oh, come on. Like, it's just a slap in the face. Um, some and of the, some of the don't get the Jesus reference there. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> and, and having attended a Sundance now, this is a, this is a ceremony that the church banned. And it still has some gruesome elements to it, I think, for some modern white sensibilities. But if you were to sit and watch what unfolds over five or six days, you would be struck by how incredibly cruciform it is. Um, When they choose the tree, and then the young men in the community carry the tree up onto the hill, and then they all lift it up over top of the community, and then they literally tie ribbons which are their hopes and their prayers and their sins onto the tree. And then the young men fast for several days asking who they can be for their community and what does it mean to support this group and the family and live for the creator. And, and you're going, oh, my tradition has something so similar where a young man carried a tree up on a hill, not just for the sins of his community, but for the entire world. And let's just start talking about how on earth did you guys figure this out Right. And be doing this for hundreds of years before you would have, like, who told you about trees and piercings and, yeah. uh, like, it's just beautiful. Yeah. And and, and just for our listeners, because I know that this might feel like a bit of a tension point for some of our listeners. I, for sure. I think, I think what you're arguing for is not syncretism, which is, right. you know, the amalgamation of religions and all things, all beliefs are the same, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but what you're arguing for is gospel contextualization and, and seeing how God has already gone ahead of you and is at work in the world now um, to bring his message um, and to, um, and it shouldn't surprise us that God, God is way ahead of all of us mm-hmm. already in the world today. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I'm definitely not talking about syncretism and I think both sides would be offended uh, yeah. by by that um, because there's uh but but I'm a Christian and a Christian pastor and I hold to the supremacy and uniqueness and, and uh, yeah. of, of Jesus Christ but that doesn't make me particularly defensive about him or paranoid yeah um, it allows me to enter fearlessly into some places that might that some might feel would be contaminated in some ways to see what he might be doing there yeah, um, like and the, where he's like, gone ahead, like Paul in Acts seventeen. I mean, it's it's he's he's wandering around and he's you yeah. know, and I mean it's it's um, you know, and I, I think we could probably get into 
discussions about transference and uh, all of that. Yeah. <laughs> but but I mean, I think you know, I want to get back to the idea is sure. is that how did you get into these conversations? It's it's through trust and the building of trust yeah. and relationship. Um, the fact that you're able to participate in this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, our goal was to try to have enough Indigenous people feel comfortable at our church that that we would then be invited into those communities. Yeah. It seemed to have happened backwards from our intention. Uh, we're invited into the communities now. And I don't think if you looked at our congregation now on a Sunday morning, you'd find us any closer to being one-third Indigenous than we were five or six years ago. Right. But we are sure more embedded in those communities yeah. and able to able to share but I, one of the reasons, though, and this is this is that, that we have been invited, is because we are the Christians that they have met that surprised them. Hmm. So they're pretty tuned to the Trojan horse Jesus. Okay. Where I'll pretend to listen to you. I'll pretend that I'm actually learning something. But then I'm going to sneak Jesus in. Yeah. Now... I want Jesus to be a part of their lives. I want him to do what I believe only he can do and what he longs to do for them. But I can't share him in a way that even smells remotely colonial. Yeah. So there's a subservient posture of genuinely, when I ask that question, teach me something about God I don't know yet. I'm actually meaning that. Yeah. It's not a it's not a technique um, or a, a way to try to engender trust, and I think that's what's allowed us to build trust with people in these communities is because they have taught us things, they have blessed us, and when we celebrate that and are grateful for that, they realize there isn't going to be another shoe here that's going to fall. Yeah, and and eventually they talk, they end up talking about Jesus anyway. Yeah, yeah. So you you genuinely want to be friends and you genuinely genuinely want to to love them full stop um and of course the greatest expression of love would be to you know to reveal jesus to them and help them encounter this god who you love who's 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 amazing right but mm-hmm. uh, you know i i i think it's kind of it's i think we 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 face a similar tension on a very small scale with friendship evangelism you know in friendship evangelism you know yeah we we make friends with people, but but we feel it's kind of inauthentic friendship if we're making friends with them only so that we can preach Jesus to them, right? I mean, whereas we're supposed to just be friends, period, with people and and love people, period. But on the other hand, you know, if if we truly love somebody, why would we not share this, um, you know, this thing that we have that's so amazing to us and central to our lives, which is a relationship with the living God, right? But but there's that tension, right? Because you don't want a friend to ever think, oh, you're only friends with me so that you can preach Jesus at me, right? That's that kind of is not a great basis for a friendship. Um, mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it's, yeah, it's, and then it's and then the other side of that. The other side of that is, um, what if what if all somebody experienced from me their whole life is the love of Christ, but they they never knew where I stood on things, right? And that that one I've found myself increasingly letting go of and being less concerned of. Okay, that uh, that 
I think it's okay to just have somebody know that they are loved by Christ and uh, and it's up to them whether they're going to love him back. Yeah. Um, not quite saying that right. I, I don't want to say it in a way that causes your listeners to 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 not um, not engage with because it sounds um, like I'm crossing a line. I'll tell you a story instead. Okay. Um, there's this elderly indigenous woman who had cancer, and I'm friends with her brother, who's an elder, and he wanted me to come out and pray for her healing because my prayers and his words have power. So I'm invited out, and there's a few other um, medicine men. I guess I'm not a medicine man. They're not other medicine men. Okay. And, uh, and I'm standing on the periphery of this experience, watching all these people that um, have so much in common, yet I've been invited in for some reason. And for about an hour and a half, I just stood around the periphery of the circle. She was actually in some ways elevated up on the deck of her house with three or four of her sisters around her. And she was in, in frail shape. There was uh, a fire going that was lit in her honor for her healing. There was, um, there was teepees and, and those sorts of things. And there's, there's old, the, the representative of the Christian Missionary Alliance is in the corner talking with her ex-husband. <laughs> like, that's kind of where I'm standing, right? I'm in the, I'm in the circle with the... <laughs> but uh, then it was time to pray. And uh, a Dakota elder prayed in his language, um, in their way, and I don't know what it was. And the, um, enough to, to give it a check mark is like that passed the kosher test. And then I prayed. And after that prayer, she moved to the side and she sat down and she patted the seat beside her and she said, come sit here for a while. Hmm. And so I sat there and uh, she told me about her life. She told me about her kids. Um, we actually, some of the kids that were in my Wednesday lunch were actually her nieces that lived wow. in her house for a while. Yeah. And I felt the old evangelical pressure to close the deal for this beautiful woman. Yeah. And for the life of me, didn't know how to gracefully go there. Yeah. And when I drove home afterwards, feeling a sense of incompleteness or failure, and I wasn't quite sure because she died shortly after, as near as I can discern, I felt like the Lord said, Nathan, your presence there, let her know that Jesus loves her. Hmm. And it's enough for her to die knowing that. Let me take care of the rest. I don't have time to build chapter and verse or the whole narrative there, but that that sort of humble posture and giving what you can in a season and trusting the Lord to honor it um, gives me some measure of peace and that that I don't imagine there will be many of these conversations I'm having with Indigenous people where they go as far as the sorts of stories you can put in a fundraising letter. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but they're still powerful. Did, and so you did pray for her? Yep. Yeah. yeah, we prayed for her healing, that Jesus would touch her, that he okay. would remove yeah. the cancer. And yeah, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Now, just, I mean, that last statement, someone's like, oh man, he's a universalist. He's saying, when, right. Jesus, when Jesus said to you, he'll take care of the rest, you're yeah. not saying that she's in glory and he's got all this figured out. You don't know that. None of us do. I mean, no, that's not what no. you're saying. You're not saying, 
<laughs> you're just saying that you've done enough. The rest is up to me to do whatever that. Right. You know, you, um, yeah. whatever needs to be done with every human being for eternity is going to be up to Jesus to do. Yeah. Um, so there's no, there's no, nothing outside of him doing it. Um, but, but for him to do something there that was a happy ending, he'd have to do something that's different than what, than what you... I would, what I would have imagined. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And I, you know, I feel for you and I'm sure some of our ministry staff have, have uh, sorry, our ministry leaders out there have felt the same thing. Those tension moments where you, 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 you almost know for sure that if you go down the path of the four spiritual laws and laying them out and all that, it's just going to sabotage things. It's not going to actually help. Right. Um, right. Yeah. And you feel this tension. Well, what, what, what should I do in that moment? And uh, Hey, sometimes you just got to trust the leading of the spirit and what the spirit's leading you to do and say, so. Yeah. And and not always stick to the formula. Right. Yeah. And that's uh, well said. Yeah. Well, uh, twenty years in the same church, man. That's uh, mm-hmm. that's pretty long. I mean, I mean, wow, you're getting old. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, tell us a little bit, just uh, as as we're closing things up here. What have you been doing to build resiliency? I mean, how do you how do you how do you take care of yourself for a leader as a leader? I mean, COVID was hard. Um, every year is different. You know what? In a month, the fall is coming, and you're kicking things off, and it's going to get crazy. I mean, you got to deal with the grind. You got to have some grit. Um, grit. What do you do There's to a good, take care of yourself? <laughs> grit is a good alpha male podcast word. I've heard that from. <laughs> is this an alpha male podcast? You've, you've no, I, I've read a book. I've got a book on my shelf called Grit, uh, and the author grit. is female. Okay. Um, okay. and there's actually been studies on grit. Uh, it's yeah. just a, but you're, it's true. It's kind of like a, uh, um, I don't know, a catchphrase for resiliency that a lot of us yeah. use. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, we could be alpha males. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's a, ice baths. Some ice baths are how we do it. Yeah. yeah uh, that your question about resiliency of all the ones that you floated my way that we might talk about. Actually, I thought about it the most because it was a peculiar word. In my own lexicon, I don't use that much. Um, I talk about longevity. I'll talk about gratitude, um, energy, but but resilience. It was peculiar to me, and I I asked my wife last night. It's like I don't I don't know what to say about the resilience stuff, and she was like the most complimentary she's been in a long time. She she talked about um, physical, t- physically taking care of myself. Mm-hmm. So I I. Mountain bike, I cross country ski, I play hockey, I, I watch my diet, I uh, I lift weights, and I do that some some form of that every single day, basically, and have for twenty years. The mountain bike stuff and the ski stuff, occasionally I'll actually do do racing with it. So physically, um, she's like, you probably have more energy than than uh, the person that that doesn't do that stuff. Yeah. Um, she pointed to my daily devotional life. Most days, uh, about six o'clock in the morning to seven, I'll I'll um, have a devotional routine, and then um, so those are just kind of like the normal things that a, any like I mean that's no different than like what a, a CEO is going to do. But what is how does how's a pastor not get progressively more disillusioned with people over time so that they just get cynical and cynical and cynical? Um, especially when I live in a community where so much of what I dreamed about having happened hasn't. Mm. Somebody asked me a funny question the other day. They they saw the multi-site and they saw the book and they saw the airplane and they're like, 
how do you keep PAC from becoming an empire? <laughs> and I was like, well, empires are all relative, right? If my empire is this this little rural town, but but it doesn't have to be impressive to be an empire in your own heart. Uh, and I thought, why has... And I think if, if it's an empire, it's hard to be resilient because you don't really love it. You're just trying to build it and protect it and its reputation. And what came to my mind for resiliency was what it feels like for me to walk around my neighborhood with my dog. And it won't seem like resiliency at, at first, but I think it'll get us there. I can't walk my dog in this town without having to fight against some profound feelings of failure. Mm. Two blocks from my house is a guy that I baptized five years ago who doesn't come to the church anymore. Three doors down from him is a guy from hockey whose son passed away, and he doesn't come to church either. Another block is the family that left our church. Uh, they were angry about something I preached, and we couldn't sort it out. And two doors down is the drug house where I went over with uh, popsicles in the garage to help the little kids, at least, and, and uh, didn't do a darn thing, and two people committed suicide in that house. And then I get to my own house with the undone baseboards and the kids leaving and all the, all the memories of, of failures and successes and s false starts and finish lines. And, and uh, it's just so darn humbling that it lets you feel really grateful that the Lord has blessed you still. And I think when I'm grateful, I'm resilient. Hmm. When I'm entitled, I I don't have any ability to stand strong. Yeah. But but uh, the Lord has been blessed has blessed me with a growing love for the people in this town and this church over 20 years instead of an increasing level of cynicism, and so that love is part of the resiliency as well. So I'm sure there's a part I've had to play in that, but I'm not so sure um, exactly what that was. But I do feel resilient, and. Uh, Tamara, yesterday when I was talking to her, my wife, she's like, of course you've had your bad days, but maybe once a year I'll have a conversation with her where I'm like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Hmm. Um, but it's the kind of conversation that about three days later, like she doesn't take me that seriously because it's not, it's not a real bottoming out. So what does that mean for listeners who are tired or wondering how much longer they can go? I guess, first of all, really basically, it means actually do take care of yourself. Yeah. Um, don't neglect that. And then uh, find stuff to be grateful for. Literally, like, Jesus, what what have you given me that I need to be really happy that you've given to me? And by your spirit, would you put that into my heart in a way that is emotive, that I'm not just trying to pep talk myself out of this? but I'm actually feeling your grace in a real personal way here. Because um, he is really the only one who can change how you feel on the inside with any real consistency. He's yeah. the only one who can pull your vision to something that actually causes you to be perpetually buoyant. And uh, he's been kind enough to do that for me when I need it. Hmm. Yeah, good word, good word. Um, we've all got empires. Even paper boys have empires. <laughs> That's right. Your paper rope can be an empire. Yeah. So hold it loosely. Let it go. Let it go. <laughs> my, my empire. Cast down your idols. Oh, but you know what? 20 years ago when everything was a third of the size, 
uh, if that uh, that was more of an empire than um, yeah now I'm yeah. just trying to not let my broken heart get the best of me yeah in lots of places there's just so much to fix yeah and you know what I think so many of our listeners can relate to everything you've just shared um, about uh, sometimes it feels like you're failing forward all the time there's just you you see the progress in someone's life and then they they, they break your heart and I think that that constant feeling of getting your heart broken or people leaving or people disillusioned or all of that. I mean, it's making so many pastors just want to quit and and they are. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then you get COVID and you feel that you don't have any power or control over this thing. And then you see the polarization that's happening. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's not surprising that uh, so many pastors feel uh, that sense of disillusionment sometimes. Um, but I, I think you're right. Gratitude is is a is a keeper. That's going to change, and and it's all about changing your perspective. So um, appreciate that word. There's another thing about brokenheartedness that I find interesting, and this only came on my radar a few months ago. You might know more than me because I'm not super familiar with with ancient languages, but apparently, what's translated in the Psalms as brokenheartedness is maybe more accurately understood as um, fragmentation. So somebody, the heart is something that that helps you to pull the threads of life together and to hold it together, so to speak, which yeah. is different than being sad. So we tend to think of brokenheartedness as like, oh, I'm really sad. And maybe that's that's a byproduct of not being able to hold it together. But this fragmentation of the broken heart uh, that's caused by a broken heart, that's been helpful for me to to then understand, okay, so so part of my role as a pastor is I have to learn how to hold this together. And uh, and when I'm learning, Jesus is near to the brokenhearted, to those that can't quite figure out where the pieces fit. Yeah. Yeah. So well, intimacy, intimacy and gratitude, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, good. Well, my brother, I think our, our time is about done here. I want to have you back. Uh, there's so many other things we could talk about and reflect about. Um, and I, I appreciate you uh, giving your time to to our listeners and, and on the podcast here. Uh, so people want to talk to you. Uh, people want to be in touch with you. Um, how can they do that? Um, I'm on Instagram from time to time. When it starts to feel unhealthy for me, I, I get off it. But it's one of the ways that I stay in touch with my kids. So I'm, I'm usually on there. So just look for me on Instagram. Um, and Westlake, I think. I yeah. also don't. I also don't mind uh, mind an email. Um, I'm blessed to have an assistant who goes through those emails, and if somebody's got some questions and whatever, she can just fire it, fire it off to me. So um, that's Nathan Westlake at mypack.tv. That's great, and we'll uh, we'll make sure that we uh, put all that information in the show notes, and uh, of course they can check out your church as well, Prairie Alliance Church. Easy to Google. Is that the what's the web, what's the URL on that? Uh, www.mypac, mypac.tv. Okay. And we're always looking for uh, young people that want to serve the church. Um, so if you, one of those emails that I get is like, hey, I'd like to come pay a visit and maybe be an intern or learn about being a campus pastor or whatever, that would be awesome to have that kind of conversation. And, and hear if maybe what God is stirring in your heart doesn't maybe line up with some of the unique things and opportunities that he has here. Awesome. 
And we certainly want to encourage uh, some of our young leaders who are looking for places uh, to learn and grow and in a, in a great apprenticeship environment to check you guys out. So, uh, Nathan, it's been great. Thanks so much, man. We'll talk yeah. to you again soon. You're welcome, Rob. Thanks. Bye. You've been listening to the Church of the North podcast, a production of Briarcrest College and Seminary. For more information about the podcast, visit churchinthenorth.ca. To learn more about Briarcrest, visit briarcrest.ca. Thanks for listening, and if you like what you heard today, please share this episode with other ministry leaders. 